This is Many Windows, the podcast in which we explore stories from the wide world of education from the perspective of two educational leaders with more than 40 years of combined experience. My name is John Cassie. I'm the co-founder of Qualia, the School for Deeper Learning in Calabasas, California, and I'm joined by Jennifer McGlemory, who at this point of recording is still the principal of Dolores Huerta Middle School in Burbank, California, but not for long. Only Hi, a Jennifer. more weeks. Right, and I'll right. be the unemployed uh, <laughs> graduate student. I'm going back to school. I, I probably talked about it on our last episode. You did. But yeah. Yep. Yep. I've, yeah. um, but more time to podcast, right? Exactly. So <laughs> speaking of podcasts, Jennifer, what's the myth we're talking about today? Our myth today is stress is bad. Ooh, this should be provocative. So I'm sure everybody's initial response is like, yes, stress is bad. But yeah. I, th- I think that we have, we now use the word stress and sometimes interchangeably anxiety to mean absolutely any kind of uncomfortable emotion that we're feeling. So that's what I want to rant a little bit about today, that not all stress is bad and, and differentiate between not that, not that there is necessarily good stress. Although if you read some of the literature, you will see um, the term good stress and bad stress. But if you delve in a little deeper, you see um, descriptions of short-term versus long-term or, you know, chronic stress being that long-term stress and short-lived stress being um, more experiences from the day-to-day living condition that we all face that is really normal. And it has a a, a important defense uh, mechanism that it triggers in our body that actually improves our performances in some ways. Yeah, that, that, I mean, you know, as a, as a game-based learning person, I know full well that there is productive challenge, productive uh, difficulty and sort of unproductive difficulty. And you want the, the productive side because that's pushing you Mm -hmm. into that zone of proximal development, nearing the end of it you know, which is kind of where you want to be in that range Mm -hmm. so that you feel like this is hard. And I'm not sure I'm up to all of this, but I'm up to part of it, but you don't want it to be so much or so enduring that you end up with these kind of physiological changes that are maladaptive. Exactly. I I think a lot of people are familiar with the, the term fight or flight syndrome. And they know that this stress response of fight or flight goes back to, you know, our caveman days or uh, when we were living um, out amongst the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and we had to uh, be prepared at any moment to either fight or flee. And, but what that really means, it just has to do with some of our brain chemistry and how the the amygdala, that old part of your brain that has your emotional responses and also releases the chemicals that tells your body what to do when there's danger, right? right? So it 
it takes over your frontal lobe, the front part of your brain. That's your logical thinking part of your brain that the emotional response takes over, right? We've all had that experience. You have a hard time thinking clearly you freeze up, maybe you've things like that. And that is because that amygdala takes over. And so, um, but it's doing that because it's flooding the blood from the brain to your, your muscles, because you're getting ready to have to either fight or run for your life. Right. And so even though we don't actually most of the time <laughs> encounter situations where we have to fight or run for our life, or that might not be the appropriate response, even though our body is still kind of wired for that. If you yeah. think about performance, think about an athlete um, who's mm-hmm. getting ready for a big game, even um, uh, someone, a recital. I, I have lots of scarred memories from uh, um, piano recitals as a, as a young child and having to perform, but the, the blood goes to your muscles, to your fingers. um, And it kind of, in a way, clears your mind and helps you to focus in on that one moment, what you're supposed to be doing. So that's some, you know, that's a little bit of the positive because it, it blocks out some of our um, overthinking uh, and right. right? And helps right. you really. So whether it's a game, a test, a performance, uh, y- you want to really be f- super focused, hyper-focused. Right. And that is part of um, the response, the physical response that is positive to the, these situations. So it actually does uh, make you better prepared for those situations. And I think we've gotten to a point in our society where kids, at least, I don't know, I'm not sure what we've been telling them, um, or maybe it's just talking about stress and anxiety so much that any, any uncomfortable sensation in their body, those normal butterflies in your stomach. Right. I have, I have kids coming to the nurse all the time to complain about, you know, those butterflies or those uncomfortable feelings as if there is something wrong with them. And I feel like we really need to start talking about how that is just a normal response that we all have to these situations. Right. Right. Instead of trying to cure it. Right. We don't really teach how to understand what your body's telling you, do we? Right. Uh, And I think that these kinds of feelings, even in older kids can be really bewildering. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of kids in our schools every day who are living in home contexts that are not ideal for, for being really well adapted to, to a world of rapid change. Mm-hmm. Right. The speed of change in the world is contributing in part to what we're talking about. And some of the other things that we've talked about over this season and, and others are making it acutely even more problematic just in the time we're living in right now. You know, Post COVID inability to remember how to do social mm-hmm. things, uh, the ever presence of notification beeping phones, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, anxiety about uh, or, or awareness of 
Are you getting the likes? Mm-hmm. You know, do your friends hate you? Mm-hmm. All of these kind of things taken together create an environment in our society that's it's pushing us towards a part of the range where it isn't as productive. And once we're over there, we can't see the, the good side. Right. Right. All we see is this other side. Well, and I think that the, the social media that you mentioned and the posting something and then checking and checking and checking and checking um, for the response, whether it's sending a message to somebody and waiting and waiting, and waiting for that response. Right. You know, that that is triggering some of those stress responses. And then now you're doing it repeatedly and you're doing it to yourself really. Right. So these, the short-term stress, one of, I, I was watching this really great Ted talk. Um, I found this article from um, that was by the director of research at the Stanford center on stress and health. Oh, and so I was reading about that and then he had, he had a Ted talk. So I watched that which was really great. There's absolutely no way that I can say his name correctly. Um, but there is a great Ted talk. He's the director of um, research at Stanford center on stress and health. Okay. So he will have to put that in the, we'll get his name and we'll put it in the show notes and put it in the show notes and maybe a link to that Ted talk. Cause it, cause it's really great, but What's interesting, he's also talking about the effects of stress, you know, biologically, but when he's talking about the good stress, he's actually talking about an immune response that we have. So he's talking about, um, I'm trying to remember what he calls it, but there's like blood and he's, he calls it our reinforcements. Our mm. immune, our, it's our immune response. So in our spleen, we have all these reinforcements sitting and waiting. And then as soon as that stress response is triggered by our brain, then the, the, the immune response floods our system mm-hmm. and it actually helps us have better immunity. So he's, his research, which I thought was fascinating is about triggering this response right before a vaccination to improve the efficiency and efficacy of a vaccination. Interesting. And then carrying it on to talk about how they can use that in cancer treatments and improving the body's reaction to cancer treatments and the medication we get by triggering this stress response. So he says, either like before you go and get a vaccination, either go and do some exercise to get your blood rate, you know, your heart rate Mm. up, all those things that happen when you're feeling a little bit stressed, your, your heart starts to race a little bit, you get a little bit sweaty. You can trigger those, that same reaction. Our body reacts the same way just by exercise. He also, you'll love this. He says, he says he really wants to, um, he wants to work on using VR glasses and mm. gaming yeah. to get people in that same kind of state of mind to trigger that uh, immune response system, because then it just enhances our body's ability to take on, take these medications and the, and the vaccination and have a, a stronger response, therefore building a stronger immune system to whatever's going to mm. attack us. So that was, I'd never heard anything like that before. I'd never heard of that component, but he talks about how, 
you know, these short-term stress, almost heightening those moments, but shortening them. Mm -hmm. And the importance of these rest periods in between the stressors. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's what you're talking about when somebody lives in a situation where there's that constantly those stressful situations, even if it's not, even if it's not going on indefinitely, the, the short bursts again and again and again, without that restful period in between, it then makes it this chronic or long-term stressful situation that starts to do harm and damage. Right. Right. So this is why in the, we're, we're sort of redoing our daily schedule. Ah. And one of the things that we're doing is trying to build in more time periods where students are not uh, doing class, class, class Mm -hmm. kind of in a row, right? Because our sense is that you have more than maybe one of those days a week where it's just kind of a grind. Mm -hmm. And you just start to, you just start to wear out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, and certainly, you know, as a, as a teacher, you know, when, when I was, when I wasn't an admin and I had multiple, you know, class periods as part of my contract, if I happened to have a a year or a, a, it's happened to fall that I would end up with sort of class, 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 class. Mm -hmm. I mean, that just, you, you, you run out of gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm an independent school teacher where, you know, in, in my schools, even the biggest ones, a full-time load was a hundred students mm-hmm. in a high school. And that's, that's, that's not even a full-time job in a, in a, yeah. in a public setting, yeah. most public settings. Right. Right. That, that that's not really a full load, right? It's going to be two or more, 200 or more, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, and 35 now, kids in the classroom. I mean, give me a break. You've absolutely hit the nail on the head of the, what I've been reading is there is, it's like a hill. Well, you know, the, the bar graph on right. stress, right? Up, you, you're going up and up and up. It's okay. It's okay. It still, you know, has positive effects. And then you hit the top of this hill and then you start going down, you know, the more, uh, and it's, how do you know when you've tipped over the hill and now you're getting into the negative physiological response? Exhaustion is a right. key um, response that we have to stress when you know it's too much. Yeah. So that's why those restful periods are so um, important in between you want to shorten the amount of time that you're under the duration of, of a stressful event and have longer periods of time in between. Uh, But we do, we have these built-in resilience mechanisms that kick in when we start to experience chronic stress. Now, chronic stress is identified as um, a reaction to a biological stress response that is activated for months to years. Yeah. So this is, this is the other piece I wanted to mention. We think of chronic stress as like, I had two weeks where, you know, I was unemployed and, you know, my car broke down 
And, you know, you're like, you have those times in your life when it's just three things hit all at one time. And you're like, I am going to break under this. This is too much. The stress is too great. That's still not yet. That's still not really chronic stress. Um, It may be acute. It may, right. It's a lot. Yes. It's it's a lot. Right. Right. We're talking months and years even. So that's where like poverty and being in, you know, the cycle of abuse and those things where that is really chronic stress, but we have some, cause there's always that, the, the mystery of, well, how come some people come out of these experiences and they are successful and they have overcome all of these obstacles that were in their life, all, all the chronic stress, and they came out and they overcome and then other people don't, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the big mystery. That's what all the research on resilience is about. Like, so how do we, um, tap into those resilience mechanisms? Um, because that's what allows you to keep functioning, even when you're under chronic stress and there it's different in different people is kind of the bottom line with the, uh, these differences in what they call stress resistance. Mm -hmm. So some individuals can just continue to function normally, even under, you know, significant amounts of chronic stress. And we know people like this, right? right? You can think of people who are in really high stress jobs and situations, but they just can manage it. And it's like, oh, what is their secret? What are they doing? Well, partially, I think they are, they have something that they are born with, balanced with this, this little bit healthier lifestyle. So what's really important is rest, Mm -hmm. exercise, and Mm -hmm. not a lot of exercise. It's not like working out all the time and going and exercising hard. It's about going out for that brisk walk. Right you know, taking better care of your body, eating as well. um, Those are still key. And they're also identifying now the importance of that social structure. So do you also have people that you can go and talk to? And it can be friends. I'm not talking about, it's not necessarily have to be someone you pay, but friends you can talk to. So going out to dinner with some friends and being able to share you know, what you're going through is a healthy response that, that kind of like, um, contributes to that resilience. Right. You know, you think about the way that you describe this stress experience reminds me of that, that cliffhanger game on the price is right. <laughs> you know, with the, you know, you know, that guy, right. <laughs> and the lesson to me is that you can get all the way up to 25 but you can't go to 26, mm. right? You're going to go, you're going to go over. Yeah. Right? yeah and it's going to be, and maybe that number is what's different for people for different people. That's yep, right. Yeah. Yep. That's where I was going. Right. You know, that I may have a 10, you may have a 25. Mm-hmm. We may, we know people who do uh, really hardcore jobs who may have a hundred. Mm-hmm. Right. But you're going to know as you're inching towards your number. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not going to be a nice, gentle hill on the other side. You're going to go, yeah, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when we think about the kids that we work with, 
all of their numbers are lower. Yes. Right. Because they're kids. Right. And we have to be mindful of the ways in which we're creating in-class experiences, social environment of the schools that we're in charge of and how those things are, uh, are having them come to school, not at one, but like set already at five, mm-hmm. right? Which, you know, we don't want because this isn't, this now we're not talking about resilience and grit the way that we normally talk about them in schools, you know, academic challenges, et cetera. We're talking about the sort of almost basic physiology. Yeah, right? I, think, I think we've got two things that as leaders we have to be thinking about is stress resilience in our teachers, in our staff. How do we help them manage the stress that is involved in their day? I'm, that's so fascinating that at your school, you're really thinking about the schedule and how you can adjust the structure of your school day to support the teachers and the students in this yep. area, yep. build up, in more down. of that resting up, time, down. opportunity right. for exercise, opportunity for socialization. Right. So t- teachers, and I also think here's a difference between kind of extroverts and introverts. So I'm thinking about the teacher who sits in their room at lunch by themselves. An introvert mm-hmm. might need that to recharge extroverts. Mm-hmm might need to sit with a group of their colleagues and talk Mm -hmm. during lunch, you know, so kind of knowing, knowing what you need and, and getting that. I I have um, some teachers that they both come really early to school because they live a distance away. And so they want to avoid some of the traffic. So they come early and they walk over to Starbucks together before school starts and walk back so that, you know, that's great. It's socialization. They're also walking and getting exercise. So I think we as leaders have to think about that and helping our staff with that. But then we all, parents, teachers, and leaders have to think about how we're talking with kids about yep. stress and anxiety, because all we've been talking about it a lot lately, and we've been talking about how bad it is and how much anxiety there is and how much stress there is. And I don't think we're doing our kids any favors by just loading on to that narrative because we're not we're not describing two distinct things as distinct correct we're describing one part of life which is normal to mm-hmm. be desired to be mastered mm-hmm. in the same context as something that uh we, we want to help manage and control and not have those going over the, over the ledge kind of experiences. And, uh, you know, I, I think that we can do a much better job of, of thinking about these things and of designing health curricula, uh, personal goal curricula, those kind of things. Well, I also Uh, think it's something that our teachers need to think about the way they talk about stress and anxiety themselves in their class. Yes. Right. So I know some math teachers who just absolutely hate it when a teacher says, or an adult says, oh, I'm just not good at math. Right. Right. They're like, I hate that. I'm trying to teach my kids that nobody's good at math and bad at math that, you know, 
we, we all can learn math and it takes a growth mindset and all of this. And then I have all the, uh, these adults on my campus who are constantly saying, oh, I'm just not good at math. It's kind of, I think of it in the same way. Yeah. We have so many of our adults right now saying, oh, you have such a stressful life. You have said, there's just, you're so full of anxiety after this pandemic and, you know, just your lives now are so full of stress and anxiety. And I think that it's, it, it makes me think of our episode we did last week, where you were talking about the crisis in education. There's always a crisis. There's another crisis. And that becomes right. the narrative that it's right. And now we live in this narrative and our, we're passing it on to our kids that, oh, your life is so stressful and full of anxiety. I don't know how you cope. And I think we have to be just all of us talking about normal stress. Yeah. An example that I think of all the time is anytime I call a student out of class to come and talk to me and it, I could be giving them an award or like asking them to, you know, read something at promotion, you know, they're, first of all, they're always freaked out, of course, to come to my office. Right. And then when they go back to class, when they're going to walk into class, they're like, everyone's going to look at me when I go right. into class. Right? right. This is like the worst thing in the entire world that everyone's going to look at me as if everyone was talking about them while they were gone. And, you know, when they walk in, this is their great fear. Well, when I walk into a classroom, I have that moment where I'm like, you know, everyone's going to turn and look and the teacher might be in the middle of teaching and I don't want to interrupt that teacher. And I don't know, should I go in there? Yeah, right. You just have that very, very normal response of I'm going into an environment that I don't know what I'm going to find. Right. And we're triggering that fight or flight response because we're going into this unknown environment. Normal, right. normal. Let's right. talk about it. Let's acknowledge it. I always talk with students about this when I send them back to class, you know, okay. So what do you, when you open the door, everyone's going to look at you because that's just our natural response. You hear a noise, you look over to right. see what that noise is. And someone comes in. It's not a big deal. Smile, just go to your seat. Don't worry about it. But I, right. Yeah. Be, being called to the principal's office really is the gold <laughs> standard, isn't it? Yeah. it. I do right? kind of sometimes like to play with that and uh, freak them out I, a little bit. <laughs> I'm not above, I'm not above using it. It's, it's always like the best kids that were like, I was so nervous when I got a note to the principal's office. It's it's such a it's such an iconic yeah. stressor that you could say to the teacher, send uh send Jane Smith to the office, please. I have a check for her. Right. Right. <laughs> send her to the office to receive a big slice of chocolate cake. Yeah. And it's just it doesn't matter. It's the yeah. principal's office, right? You know, you might as well have, you know, uh, you know, su- summoned them to Mordor, right? <laughs> Right. And, uh, and faculty are no different. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I Uh, always am very careful. If I, if I'm asking a teacher to either call me or I need to talk to them, I always try and include what it's about, particularly if it's very mundane, benign, you know, like no hurry. I just want to ask you something about, you know, the, I want to pick your brain about this. Yeah. Yeah. No, because there's nothing worse than like, see me right away. (laughs) No, it is the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pop in when you get to campus. Yeah. Ugh. I'm, I'm, people probably practically get in car accidents if the, you send them that uh, as they're driving into yeah. work. 
But I, yeah. I mean, we, I think we just need to be talking about these experiences that we still have as adults going yeah. to the doctor, going to the dentist. These are universal, uh, stressful experiences, but it's normal and we don't avoid it. So here's the, this is what I think is the problem. So now we've it's got the avoidance. kids, right. That, that if they come to school late and are going to have that experience of walking in and everyone looking at them, like, Oh, I'm not going to go to class because everyone's going to look at me. Well, that's just a normal thing. You got to get past that. It, you cannot, yeah. we can't now have all these avoidance strategies that we right. employ to not have to deal with. And I think parents now more than ever are buying into these avoidance strategies because they're so worried about their kids' social emotional wellness. And I think parents need to be reminded that a lot of this stress is normal and natural. The only way to get through it and to get better at dealing with it is by dealing with it. Right. By right. facing it. There's, there's no magic, you know, there's no magic there. You just have to face it. Uh, but I see us giving our kids a lot of outs um, for just normal amounts of stress. Right. And the, the downstream effect of this is almost certainly less effective adults. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and adults who are going to have a hard time working in organizations that are largely run by Generation X, we have no, we're not going to be interested in, in these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And millennials have certainly had, uh, uh, you know, a, an adulthood that's been marked almost continuously by difficulties and reversals and millennials seem reasonably resilient as these things go, given that many of them were entering the workforce just as the financial crisis happened. And then we're starting to reach the point where they would be starting to take over organizations when the pandemic drove unemployment to 30% and totally disrupted the whole, yeah. the whole functioning of, of all of our institutions. You know, the, the world is not going to change more slowly. That's true. And if we want to help young people become more effective, we have to address the, the, the imbalance in the way we talk about these things, Jennifer, far earlier than maybe mm. we would have thought 10 years ago, mm -hmm. right? This may be a sort of thing that we need to start addressing with parents in elementary school right? Don't use these terms. Don't describe yeah, yeah. things this way. Don't make your kid neurotic by, by following these paths because they're not going to help. And you're going to end up with these challenges in the middle school and in the high school that, that you don't want and that we can't, it'll be too late to effectively manage. Right. Right. I, I, found in just a health magazine recently, there was a article about, you know, it's, it was called a user's guide to stress. 
And part of it, there was a little insert that said how to talk to kids about stress. And one of the things it said is, you know, asking kids open-ended questions, like really talking to them about it and finding out how are you feeling and um, what was difficult, uh, you look upset, you know, uh, and engaging them. And I think one of the things that we always want to do as adults is then fix that situation. So, you know, let me tell you what's bothering, you know, tell me what's bothering you so that I can fix it. Instead, we have to shift our mindset a little bit. Tell me what's bothering you so that I can come along beside you and be your support. Right. Not the fixer, uh, you know, not the, the one who's going to go and, and mow down every obstacle, but to come along and, and just listen. I mean, listening is the most important thing. We want to always give advice, but I think listening and just really authentically um, mirroring back. So like what, you know, that, that idea got, gosh, it sounds like that really was hurtful to you, Mm -hmm. or that was really disappointing when you, you didn't get into the choir you wanted to get into, or you got a bad grade, even after like, oh man, that really stinks. And yeah, yeah, that does feel bad. Yeah. And just acknowledging those emotions, I think are so important. We've, we've gotten too much into trying to fix everything. And then the other side of that is modeling those healthy stress management techniques in front of our kids. Right. Eating well, resting. Yep. Yep. uh, Uh, Family time. Yep. Seeing activity as an adult, reach out to somebody for help. Right. Um, Yeah. Doing those, those things that we know help that resting period as a family. So you can increase that social time, that resting time. And by resting, I don't necessarily mean you're just lying down. I mean, you're in a like resting heart rate type Mm -hmm. of a situation, you know, and it can be just hanging out with friends is restful. It doesn't mean that you have to be sleeping. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, the great thing about, about what you're talking about is that if we make progress, then when young people get to that point in life where there isn't anything they're going to be able to do mm-hmm. if they're told no, right? I think about the college process mm-hmm. as one where sometimes for the first time, a student or a family is going to get a no. And when, they're, when they ask why, they're going to be told because we said no. Mm-hmm. And universities are under no obligation to provide you with an additional answer, and they're not going to. And when you, when you don't get that, that job you felt like you were a good fit for, or you don't get that promotion that you were counting on, those things can be very... Um, uh, destabilizing, right? Now, uh, for those kind of things, I I will often say the best way to position yourself is to say to yourself and mean it, well, if that school doesn't want me, then they're losing out, Mm -hmm. right? If that school doesn't want me in their freshman class, then some other school is going to get the advantage of what I bring. Mm -hmm. And if a you know, if a job thinks someone else is a better fit, then that's on them. I know I bring a lot to the table, but you have to work 
to develop that self self talk. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, half of what's making their lives difficult isn't external stress, but internal uh, self talk. Yes, that is toxic and hurtful, right? Yeah. And if you take anything away from this episode or from this show, it is the notion that your self-talk should always uh, be exactly the same as the way you would talk to a dear friend Mm. who's having difficulty. You would never say the things you'd say to yourself to that person. So why are you saying them to yourself? Right. And uh, I mean, I know a lot of students who have really toxic self-talk. I think that's a really powerful thing that we can be saying to kids as, as early as fourth grade, maybe even before that, but I'm thinking particularly of middle school where they just get so negative on themselves. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's like, would you, what you just said about, would you ever say that to your friend? Because kids are generally quite empathetic. Like, Oh right. no, I would never say that to my friend. Well, then why would you say it to yourself? You know, and, yeah. and trying to, it, it takes some practice for sure. But I do like that idea of being kind to yourself and what that really means. We talk a lot about self-care and yep. I think so often people think, oh, well, that's doing, you know, mindfulness or yoga or, or yeah, going not- on a retreat or, you know, this, kind of, but honestly, self-care at the end of the day is being kind to yourself and uh-huh. caring about yourself. And I think that the self-talk is a huge component. Yeah. It totally is. And it's a way that adults can help kids recalibrate. Mm -hmm. So this happened. What did you say to yourself about it? Would you have said that to a friend? Mm -hmm. What might you say to yourself that you would have said to this friend? Yeah. And you get into the practice of that. And then it's just changing or providing at least two voices in your head. If your default voice is critical, if you've trained the other voice, at least you've got a devil and an angel mm-hmm. rather than just the devil who's, who's grinding you down, right? And that, 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 that can really move the needle, it seems to me. Yeah. We've talked about you know, people having a different stress resilience or what that mm-hmm. number is before it goes from just average, normal daily stress to chronic or maladaptive. Yep. And what's interesting is it's not necessarily that we all have this certain number. It has so much more to deal with your perspective of the stressful experience. Mm-hmm. And then, then the, it's more that your perspective on the stressful experience and how you think you can get through the stressful experience is more important than the experience itself. Yes. So really effective, you know, leaders or people in high stress situations and jobs say to themselves, like, yeah, I'm really busy. This is stressful, but I am up to the challenge. I can do this. I, you know, there's a lot coming at me, but I know that I'm the person for this job, right? So they have those kind of internal thoughts that they're going to be able to get through this. And so the stress does not have the negative impact 
the same, literally physically, as it does to someone who may have the exact same stressful situation and a lot of things going and they're just like, I can't possibly manage this. And I don't know how I'm ever going to get all these things done. And I can't do this. And who am I to do this? Right. That self-talk is critical and it changes our, our internal response to that stress. And the more you're able to feed yourself that, that positive, like, no, you can do this. You've done, you know, you've been in stressful situations. You've come out the other side. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've, you've been six, you were up against this deadline and you didn't think you could do it. And then when you, when you turned in that project, you know, you got a lot of positive feedback. It was great. You were really proud of it. Recalling those times, bringing those back to the front of your mind and going, yeah, okay. So I'm in a crunch time right now, but I can get through this and I can get it done. Right. And if you work with faculty in professional development over the long term, the longer you work with a group of people, the more you can point to an individual and say, do you remember two years ago Mm. when you had this classroom management challenge, your response would have been X and that would not have gotten you there. But now, look, now not only do you have that tool available that would work in other cases, but it's the only thing you had. Now you've got five or six things that I've seen you do and you know which one to bring out. So you're, you're making good progress. And once you can see that, then some of that living in that maladapted place just converts to the more normal. I mean, look, you have a classroom management issue. It's stressful. Where are you, you going to go over the edge or you're going to be able to manage it? Mm-hmm. Right. You get a, you know, you get a, a call from a, from a parent or, you know, from an administrator or whatever. It's, it's going to be anxiety inducing. Um, but it doesn't have to be an episode where you shut down and where you, you, you know, you, you, you forget that you know what you're doing. Right. And this kind of thing. This might be, you know, hopefully, this episode drops kind of just before the school year starting up again. And our school leaders are thinking about that beginning of the year uh, meeting that they're going to do with their faculty Mm -hmm. and they can remind their faculty, you know, nobody likes change. You know, everybody has difficulty with change. We all know this. Well, we have just been through three years where we didn't know if we were coming. You had no idea that you could turn on a dime and teach from home and teach through Zoom. You had no idea that you could come back to school and teach wearing a mask all day. You had no idea you could, uh, you know, go go through a year where kids are quarantining left and right. The health protocols were changing every 10 days. 10 minutes, right. We didn't know what was coming. But look, you got through all of that. Like, how did we do it? What, maybe that's just it. Like, how did, look what you guys did. Let's talk about what you learned and what you, how you tapped into some of those inner resources that you have, and maybe have that dialogue with your staff at the beginning of next year and say, man, we can tackle anything after what we've been through the last few years. Right. If 2019 and 20 and 21 teach us anything, it's that we are far stronger than we think. There you go. And 
we can overcome circumstances that might break other people. And it's not going to be perfect. But as we talked about in one of our previous episodes, uh, learning loss is not going to be something that is sustained over time. Mm -hmm. It's not real. And what will bring us back into social equilibrium is spending time together, developing our capacity to be a little more loving and chill, and finding our way back to those productive periods of stress, not anxiety, but productive learning stress, Mm -hmm. so that we can get back to trying new things and, and taking away some value from them, rather than just well, I'm not good at that, or right. Uh, or I, I guess I don't like that, or I did like that, but I don't anymore. Well, maybe. Yeah, I, maybe. I know so many teachers who thought they were not good with technology, could never, <sighs> you know, use technology, and then they were placed under some stress, and they figured it out, and they did a great job. Yep. They really did. So yep. if it, I, I want to debunk this idea that all stress is bad. There is most stress. Most of the daily stress that we face is good. It's, it helps us to achieve new things and um, boosts our immune system. Yep. And we it's, should lean into it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Brilliant. Yep. Well, friends, thanks for listening. Uh, Jennifer, great topic. And uh, we'll have another episode shortly mm-hmm. about another myth. We're not even halfway through this season yet, folks. We uh, keep coming up with we more We keep myth. adding new ones. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Uh, and uh, I look forward to hearing uh, your feedback on this on our Facebook page and Twitter, et cetera, uh, when this episode drops. So Jennifer, until next time. Thanks, John. Cheers. Bye.